Hello everybody, welcome back to uh, the Alpha Bunga Bunga Reading Club. Hello patrons, hope you're all keeping well indoors. Uh, today we're discussing Evgeny Morozov's Digital Socialism, which is uh, an article in the New Left Review which came out last year. Um, before we get to that, uh, guys, how's everyone doing? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. I heard uh, Bolsonaro's coalition is falling apart. In Brazil? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I mean, this is just, uh, we're recording this on the 23rd of April, and the news has just come out that Sergio Moro, uh, Bolsonaro's super justice minister, has uh, asked to resign. And it's quite a big deal because he was uh, the man of the upper middle classes, the anti-corruption warriors uh, in the government. And he was immensely popular, much more popular than Bolsonaro, even you know around the time of the election. So him asking to leave uh, is uh, yet another rat leaving a sinking ship. So his government's falling apart. And but it's Bolsonaro worth, and it's is remarking. fine, though. He right? He's what? he's walking around. He's he's walking around having <laughs> yeah, he's, he's delicious one, cheese breads. He, he's one of the uh, as they're calling it the ostrich coalition of uh, I think only four uh, heads of state or you know heads of government who are denying the coronavirus. Basically, uh, there's a guy from yeah. Tajikistan, there's a Ortega in Nicaragua, there's uh, someone else, and then there's Bolsonaro. Uh, there's Belo Russia, you're forgetting Belo Russia, Belo Russia, that was Belarus. it. Belarus. Yeah, or exactly. the response is vodka and saunas. Yeah. Um, That's, that sounds pretty good, good idea, though. It does sound like a good idea. It'll cure, cure, cure what ails you. Um, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Right. Well, should we get started? Um just to say, uh, for for listeners, I mean, we're going to assume everyone's read this, uh, so excuse us if we don't go into too many details explaining the article, because it's quite complex, it's quite abstract at points as well, um, as actually several several of you have noted, uh, writing in, sending in questions and comments. Um, so we're going to try to discuss the themes brought up, but we're going to not spend too much time trying to explain back what's in it. Um, I guess the idea is, is, is it, it's relatively short, and we hope you've all read it. So um, we'll we'll stay we'll start from there. Uh, apologies if you're expecting us to explain the article to you. I don't think we can do it this time because um, we won't do it justice. Um, so uh, as usual, we'll deal with the questions uh, that you guys have sent in in the final third of this. Uh, but we do want these to be ongoing discussions, so please do post or send in any questions or comments you've had uh, that have been brought up in this episode or things that maybe you didn't get to ask us in advance, um, and we'll try to kind of keep the discussion going on uh, Patreon uh, and as well uh, maybe pick up any points in the next recording of these uh, in a month's time. Um, I'll announce what we're discussing next time at the end of the episode, but uh, I should highlight that it's something that's all very much along the same themes of this about economic planning. So um, we're kind of going to try to stick on the same theme and hopefully what we discuss next time builds on what's been discussed here. So uh, we can maybe build up collectively a certain body of knowledge or, or thought around these questions. Mm. Right. So no, that, I mean, it's good. It's good that we've, we've planned it in advance. It's not a spontaneous order of readings. It's um, <clears throat> we look, we look rationally into the future and decide what we want to, what we want to do. Yes. Very good, George. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Um, mm. So the first first thing, uh, digital socialism. We're going to start abstractly, um, or at least removed from the content of the article. Uh, what does this image bring to mind, guys? Any any particular striking image glorious. of digital socialism? I mean, this is the thing about the the whole article. The title is so sexy, um, and the idea of digital socialism. I suppose um, something which combines whatever the political appeal of socialism might be to to people, along with um, the latest, most developed and sophisticated applications of technology. Um, and that's tremendously appealing, I think, um, particularly for those who've lived through, uh, or adults at least, in the 1990s and the 2000s, when the association of the left was with um, uh, you know, things that are small scale, um, the overlap with um, kind of green politics, making the suspicion and hostility to technology um, hippie communes, um, anarchism, all of this stuff kind of uh, suggested hostility to the future and hostility to technology. And so the idea of digital socialism, you know, on the surface at least, it seems deeply appealing. Um, new technologies, new modernities, new possibilities, which combines the political um, appeal of socialism with collective transformation 
um, social improvement, the possibility for rational um, transformation yeah. and planning and control with technology. And so yeah, it gets but, away, I suppose, also uh, from the old yeah. Eastern Bloc images of, um, you know, fading grey concrete blocks and backwardness and rust and all of that. Yeah, I think the the first half of the title, Digital Socialism, that's quite quite sexy. But the second half, the calculation debate in the age of big data, that's a bit more grounded. That that lets you know what what you're getting yourself in for. Um, but I think the the idea of digital socialism, I think, is quite. I don't know. It, it always seems to me it's a little bit too easy to just say, right, okay. And I'm not saying this is what Morozov says uh, at all. But okay, we've got these digital technologies. This is a shortcut to socialism. It, you know, you don't want to be too fantastical and too easy about it because you don't want that kind of sci-fi. This is far in the future, Blade Runner, but good kind of turning cyberpunk on its head type thing. Um, because as Engels said, in already in the 19th century, we have the technology to implement socialism. So it's not a question of the digital bit enabling the socialism bit. It's what does the socialism bit add to the digital bit, which actually I think is what what Morozov brings out well in the in the in this article and some of his other writing as well. Yeah, and I, I think there's also two touch points um, touch points that we've explored on this podcast. I mean, uh, one is uh, Lee Phillips and Michal Rozarski's book. I always butcher his last name. Sorry, Michal. Um, book on economic planning. Uh, the People's Republic of Walmart. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. Um, uh, which we discussed with them uh, on this podcast a while ago. And uh, even before then, Aaron Bastani's fully automated luxury communism, which all also tries to seize the possibilities of uh, highest and most advanced technology to further socialism, to further uh, a more free society. Um, which and- we also discussed on the podcast with him. Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, so actually, maybe worth a uh, listener checking those out if you haven't listened to them, because I think they do inform um, certain uh, different perspectives uh, to what uh, Morozov brings in this article. Um, and in, in fact, Morozov actually makes reference to uh, Lee and Michal's book early on, talking about kind of new uh, new enthusiasts for, for economic planning, using the possibilities of uh, digital technology. Uh, to upgrade what was uh, previously, you know, kind of decrepit systems in in the Soviet Union. Um, so, to get started on the actual content of the uh, of the article, um, it starts actually with a critique of a book called Reinventing Capitalism, as as you'll know, listener. Um, which you know, it's I haven't read the book. It does sound really awful. Um, you know, it makes the argument that uh, we're no we're now in the digital age, um, which has superseded the previous age of finance capitalism. And the suggestion is that we're no longer in capitalism because uh, there's now, you know, zero marginal costs in production because you can just magic things out of the digital thin air. Um, And that we've also overcome the limitations of price that, you know, uh, prices don't just uh, aren't no longer necessary to signal supply and demand or not or rather are not only necessary because you've got all this other information uh, other forms of feedback you know giving uh, your uber driver a five-star review always give them a five-star review no matter what it is uh, and 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 instead of uh, instead of just relying on price um, but this to me just seemed a lot of silicon valley self mythologizing right yeah i mean it's easy and convenient uh for silicon valley to say there is a new form of society, and in fact, we are at the centre of of producing it, or of we are the, <clears throat> the the midwives that bring into into being this new kind of form of, of of society. And it just so happens that it's actually, in some ways, an improvement on capitalism. Or this is the this would be the argument because it in fact draws on a number of different sources of information. It's not just price that um, kind of uh, old fashioned intersection of supply and demand but actually there's a whole load of other um things which which allow us to make smarter decisions it's always about making smart decisions um but yeah the book sounds um you kind of want to read it the inventing capitalism this is because it sounds revealingly terrible well but so morozov's criticism of it um i mean like many of these kind of new left review pieces it's framed as a the whole piece is framed as a lengthy um, review essay, effectively, of this particular book. And but Morozov's critique of it is that it misconstrues the character of earlier debates. That it um, that this book, reinventing capitalism, junks these earlier debates in order to set itself up and to in order to set up its own argument. But that it misconstrues the character of these earlier debates and therefore misconstrues the character of the capitalism 
that it purports to supersede. Um, and he makes the case it's not just this book, but also some others um, which have been more kind of favorably received, um, such as Zuboff's book on surveillance capitalism, for instance, that all of them are very um, dichotomous, that they sharply um, differentiate two phases. There was this kind of earlier crude, primitive um, capitalism, which was before, and now we live in this kind of new, shiny digital capitalism based on computers and um, connectivity and internet, and there's no distinction between the two. They're entirely different. They're governed by completely different forces. Um, and so he makes the case, which, you know, as well, it's well, it's a point that's well taken, that um, all of these kinds of books that tend to set up these forced contrasts between different periods on the basis of new technology generally tend to be very um, you know, weak kind of framings of different um, periods. Yeah, there's very there's very little explanatory, very little kind of explanation of why you've moved from one sort of capitalism to to another sort of capitalism or one capitalist form of society to another. It's it's not it's um not clear what the kind of the the forces driving this are other than, as you said, Alex, a kind of Silicon Valley self-justification that it's about a transition which is not political but is is through technology. So it's positive in reinventing capitalism and in Zuboff's case it's, it's negative. We've just got more surveillance, basically. Yeah, and that, and that question of uh, Silicon Valley's need to justify itself is actually something we should come on to discuss more towards the end as we move away from the text and try to extrapolate a little bit something that we've learned. Uh, but to return, although to... although sorry, just just to jump in really quickly. Now, I think that's it's it's a good kind of starting point that he has. I mean, that's actually where the the essay starts is that Silicon Valley has this need for a legitimation narrative and it's it has to continue to justify itself as that laboratory of all the new ideas and that kind of the most powerful the best market solutions yeah. um no, it's, so a good it's, point. it's continually it's continually on the lookout we, we touched on this a little bit in the Cali, calibunga series that there's always a kind of a need to have this i mean so he calls it in another context solutionism this idea that silicon valley is a, is a great illustration of this that you have a certain lens which which determines what you make problems um out of or or what what count as problems um how problems become problems but it's a kind of magic bulletism in other contexts as well where it's like okay all we need is just this one technological solution and then bang we've solved this this hitherto kind of intractable problem and that's the 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 kind of promise of silicon valley that it's 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 the the place where those magic bullets uh, or magic beans are, are produced yeah. Magic bullets or beans, which is it? Make your mind. <laughs> but yeah, the, the point being, I thought, is that I when, thought when, when I was when being when you clever there, because <laughs> the, the, magic, the magic bullet does the job and the magic bean, like, it, it'll grow you a beanstalk. Actually, those magic beans were kind of a good deal for the, the cow in the Jack and the Beanstalk story because you get this massive beanstalk. And if you could harvest that, you could make some make some money. Um, okay. I'm... I, I, I'm guessing you're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want your beans. The idea is, is that everything. If you, uh, if all, if you, if your one tool is a is a hammer, uh, then everything you see is a nail. You know, so that this kind of very monological yeah. way of looking at the world. Ah, we just need to uh, set up an app. Uh, you know, which will solve these problems. So, um, the, the the article then goes through uh, economic history and specific economic debates, which we should uh, give a little bit of time to because they do inform. Uh, a lot of the proposals that Morozov puts forward uh, in terms of uh, yeah, how to organize I mean, society not around the market. So maybe Phil, there's ricocheting. Us- well, there's you know, so I mean, there's kind of a ricocheting back and forth between different um, frames in the course of the in the course of the discussion, harking back to um, the so-called cal- socialist calculation debate, which was an interwar and um, an interwar debate essentially between socialists and Austrian economists over how far it was possible to um, correctly allocate efficiently and effectively allocate resources in a socialist commonwealth. Um, but then he also kind of um, jumps sideways to debates about um, taken from um Later cybernetic debates um, connected to the attempt to implement an early form of cybernetic planning in um, Salvador Allende's Chile. 
Um, and this makes the article, to be honest, it makes it a bit difficult and hard, you know, be, um, hard to follow in some parts because it's jumping around different periods and different kinds of debates. So it doesn't really consistently um, set up the sequence of economic, um, you know, that kind of history of economic thought um, in order to be able to fully kind of follow through on some of the key claims that are made. But one of the one of the important framings of the piece, um, though, to be it's unclear whether it's Morozov saying this or whether he's saying or whether he really shows that it's something which was um, which dominated thought at the time is how far um, all of our thinking about economics, how far we think planning is more efficient or the market is more efficient, is a hangover of the Cold War. And as a result of the you know, Cold War is obviously everybody spontaneously um, assumes that planning is ineffective because it's associated with the failures, the economic failures of the Soviet Union and most manifestly its lack of existence um, compared to the price system. And so that um, he makes the case that a lot of, well, how we think about how we approach these issues and how, um, you know, one school of thought, neoliberalism, um, came to dominate um, was determined by a geopolitical competition rather than by the um, internal strength of particular arguments to do with um, various economic options available. Mm. I think this is a really interesting point, which I'd never really thought of um, <clears throat> in my, albeit quite limited, training in economics, is how the the standard narrative which is given is you had, on the one hand, the price system, on the other hand, central planning. And these two things faced off against each other. And it was just the um, the quality or the the uh, efficiency, the effectiveness of the price system, which which made it prevail over central planning. And of course, this misses all the historical um, and political forces. But I think that in neoclassical economics, that story about the price system is still given. And it's quite as it's and it's attributed to, to Hayek, but it's actually a misreading of Hayek that price system is brilliant because what it does is it condenses down all the according, information according to the whole of society, according to Morozov. And it just in this one number, you can see everything about supply and everything about demand. And it's and it shows you how um, uh, it, it, it allows commu uh, coordination and resources to be efficiently allocated with a speed and accuracy that you cannot possibly um, um, replicate in central planning because the information quality um, and reliability of the price system is just incomparable um incomparably superior to yeah. that central planning yeah and morozov's point about hayek is that hayek's been misinterpreted because uh, according to him certainly in hayek's earlier writings that uh, hayek is not an advocate that price is able to condense all this knowledge in fact no that there's lots of other things that happen in capitalism um which deal with those with those less quantifiable aspects in terms of uh in terms of making trade commerce etc happen um so he Morozov sets up a distinction between what Hayek and the Austrians thought and the neoclassical economic economics uh, economists, excuse me, thought. Uh, the latter being the real advocates that price condenses everything, and that with, within that mechanism, as George has just explained, it expresses everything. I think there's something interesting uh, which I wanted to highlight in the in the article, uh, which is the way that. The, the socialist planners, I mean, really, there were social democrats uh, who argued against the Austrian economists in the interwar period. Um, later on, whether they're the same people or people working in that tradition, uh, became, you know, economic planners uh, during the Cold War. But those, because uh, planning took a back seat uh, to markets increasingly, uh, they those planners became actually engineers of markets. So, and I thought that was an interesting distinction that he makes. Um, between yeah. economic planners um, of actually setting production into into motion through state action, uh, in contrast to something that's become much more common, which is uh, the state taking a role in creating markets or pseudo markets where they don't exist, and going in to fix markets to make markets work more perfectly where they don't. I mean, you can see a, a very contemporary example of this, for example, uh, in Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Right. Her, she was an advocate of, look, there's also lots of market inefficiencies. So she's being critical of the market, supposedly from the left, but is actually uh, saying what we need is the state to take action to make these markets work a little bit better. 
And that's very much of a line with neoliberalism. I mean, the proposal of neoliberalism in, oppos in opposition to classic liberalism is precisely that the state takes a more active role in creating markets, in managing and engineering markets so that they function better. Yeah, I mean, the I, I just wanted to rewind it really quickly bef before going going on to that, which I think is um, a kind of bigger topic. That it's interesting. I, well, I found it interesting, even in the neoclassical um, kind of standard story about price, that there's still all these things like this. You have these whole outgrowths of of neoclassical economics, which are basically to deal with all of the ways in which price doesn't communicate information, um, information economics. So there's a, a famous paper um, about used cars being lemons, um, not used cars being lemons, but used cars being sold from a from a position of asymmetry of information, which means that basically the price doesn't tell you anything because there's information that the seller has that the buyer doesn't have. And I think that, that kind of... Um, uh, presentation that he then goes on to say, well, actually Hayek's view or the, the view of the Austrians is that price is an, an aerial snapshot of an ongoing military battle. It's kind of trivially true to say it does show some, it does communicate some knowledge, but it doesn't really communicate all of the social forces behind that. It does make you think, and this I think becomes more important later in, in his argument, that actually that that basis of social coordination through price, through competition is is going to be it's going to have a, a whole number of deficiencies in it. And I think that's what, what where he kind of comes to in late in the in the article when he's talking about these different modes of social coordination and what they can offer us and what they can produce. It just seems so um, so clear that the price system and competition put together um, are going to be extremely limited. So, I mean, do we want to move on to this three modes of social coordination? Effectively, Morozov's proposals uh, after he's gone through and analyze the the sort of debate between uh, you know the, the the socialist calculation debate as well as the differences between Hayek the misinterpretations of Hayek and the differences between him and and Neo yeah economics. it's worth so it's worth I mean it's worth sketching out I think um, so he gives this idea of um, the way the same way that you could potentially you know the way in which uh, markets are engineered you can design non markets. So other non-competitive ways of allocating resources or making kind of social collective decisions. The other point is also what he suggests is decentralized planning. So the idea that we that plans need to be um, kind of tightly bundled together in these tremendously um, monolithic centers of uh, decision making that doesn't need to hold with digital technology. It can be dispersed, though still effectively um planned, which is to say coordinated without the need for um, the market to work. And then also this idea of a feedback procedure. So the same way that you can, um, the same way the market works to provide feedback on your know, Uber driver, as Alex's earlier example, it could be a way of um, something which is more solidaristic rather than something which is used to punish and discipline um, a labor force. So solidarity is feedback, design of non-markets and decentralized planning. Um, I don't know about you guys. I mean, my feeling was that, you know, each of them are kind of interesting, uh, even if cast in ways that are difficult to conceive of. Um, but I can't get away from the feeling that a lot of it is exactly falling prey to solutionism in Morozov's own language. That he seems, you know, the, um, well, first of all, there isn't any real, it doesn't seem to me there's any real sense of what the actual problem of the market is um, the you know the the problems of the market are taken to be or neoliberal market economics are taken to be a given. He never really kind of substantiates what is the point, which is um, what there is to be what he's critical of or most um, concerned about, and therefore he offers all these different solutions, but it's never clear what their solutions to. Mm. Um, and they're also all based read. around. I assume he's taking them as read that, you know, we all, you know, is writing in the New Left Review uh, to a left wing audience, an educated audience who will be going, well, no, we sure, know what those but I mean, are. yeah, but what is it? You know, is it inequality with, to which the response is redistribution? Is it oppression to which the response would be emancipation? 
Is it um, resource depletion, which is something he touches upon kind of tangentially? Or just, or just the inefficiency and irrationality of market coordination, which I, which I actually sure. come to think of it, uh, as I say it out loud now, I think that is more what he's driving at because but he doesn't yeah. actually he doesn't I'd demonstrate agree. it he doesn't demonstrate you know how in what he takes it for granted and so if there's no setup of what the problem is then it's very difficult to connect his to connect his proposed solutions to particular problems um because like i, I said he takes it for granted i think it's I mean, in what ways in, in what in ways his, is it, in, his, in what in ways is capitalism inefficient um, yeah. And in what ways this does it misallocate resources? He doesn't actually yeah. make that clear. No, no, uh, maybe. Yeah, I think I think I would probably tend to agree. Although when he does present it as three modes of social coordination, I mean, coordination problems are problems of efficiency um, and resource distribution. And I think that's probably the limitation or the the question that just keeps that I, I still don't feel that I really know the answer to is what really distinguishes a planned economy from a democratic one. And he is here talking, I think, about a planned economy. So he's talking about how you set, if you have these answers or you, and solidarity is a discovery procedure, I guess you're generating information. But if you have these answers of what the problems are or what it is you want to achieve with these modes of social coordination, then these are questions of, of what's the most efficient mechanism to address those issues or address those questions. Well, I, I so I think he, you know, there is a prior bigger question maybe about well, how do you make it a democratic economy? I, I see this being maybe not quite explicitly, but I mean, at least implicitly an argument against or presenting alternatives to and socialist alternatives to the usual socialist solution, which is economic planning. I mean, when I say usual, uh, obviously it's not uh, so current today, although, you know, as Morozov recognizes, there are certain recent attempts like Lee and Michal's book uh, to do that. And, you know, recent interest in uh, Chile's experiment with uh, cybernetics in, 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 19, in the early 1970s, which was uh, very uh, immediately put a halt to once the coup happened. Um, and, you know, I, I remember, I think probably in the past five years, quite a, lot, a couple of things have, I've ended up reading about that. So there is an, a renewed interest in economic planning. And I think Morozov tries to go, okay, well, there's that, and then there's markets, but that's all Cold War stuff. Let's be more up-to-date and look at uh, non-centralized ways of of social coordination. Because it, the, the, I think it's to the point that he doesn't mention central planning uh, and even including digital methods for doing so, which, for example, uh, Lee and Michal do in their book. So, you know, he yeah. doesn't discuss that. And he, instead, no, he, good he, point. he proposes... The, the first two, solidarity as a feedback procedure, designing non-markets, mm. and the third one, decentralized planning, right? So it's it's explplicitly not centralized planning as a, you know, as a yeah. social solution. I think that's so right. Think, but the I problem is, think I think the... it's also um, that there's no real sense of what these look like. Um, and I don't really have a clear sense of how they might work or examples of, um, you know, just as it's very hard to picture. He doesn't think... really give... Um, how he doesn't I, picture I, I, how they might work. I don't. I don't find that to be a particular problem with it. I think it does need to be, in some ways, an abstract argument. I mean, he he, in a talk that he gives, also called Digital Socialism, which is well worth uh, watching um, on Eurozine. He sort of we'll says, include, "Well, all of the these, all of this. these discussions, yeah, all of the discussion, all of these discussions. The context here is that the." The task of social democracy or socialism isn't isn't really very isn't clear. Um, so you know it's it's become a process of or socialism and social democracy as he pairs them together has basically become a position of defending institutions against neoliberalism uh, in institutional design things like libraries welfare state these questions of of what socialism can can do in terms of producing new institutions under new logics is not really one that's addressed because um, social democracy has become so defensive intellectually. Um, and I think that's what I take him to be trying to do is to say, okay, what are the other kind of logics of social coordination that could be appealing to socialists and social democrats? And what are the, what, what could they sort of start to what sort of institutions could they start to to produce because at the moment we have one way of designing kind of new institutions and that's the neoliberal um, that's right. method of, of competition i think you're right george in terms of um what he's trying to do though 
he perhaps, you know, he would have benefited from having framed it the way you just did, which he doesn't really do. But I think I think that is what he's getting at. But I think it's part of the problem in the sense that it's not, um, or at least it's not an approach which I find particularly useful. The idea that um, socialism is something which kind of needs to be um, created almost ex nihilo, um, that we need to define, come up with these um, radically alternative ways of doing things and they have to be in sharp contrast to established ways of doing things because those are bad and capitalist. It seems to me it's, um, I don't wish to disparage it entirely because I think, you know, that kind of level of intellectual creativity is welcome, but I think it takes away from the core issue, which is ultimately a political one of control. Well, and I that is so. much more important than, um, you know, the precise kind of institutional design of various mechanisms that might allow for different ways of coordinating particular things. I mean, I think we're just to kind of recap my point, I think, but extend it a little bit, is that we're missing something that I guess is implicit in the article and would probably benefit from being explicit, but which is that we've got three different traditional approaches, right? And I forgot to mention one. So the the one is, you know, Neoliberalism, markets or pseudo markets uh, managed by the state or regulated by the state. You have the other old alternative of centralized planning, which we know is bad because it's oppressive and whatever. I mean, uh, this is not my, uh, these aren't my words. I mean, this is what's implicit in the article. And the third one is the law, which is basically social democracy, right? Um, and especially today, mm-hmm. and I thought this was an interesting little bit of the article, um, which is that he, he, addresses the issue that law is traditionally the way that one regulates markets, you know, that one uh, accounts and deals with the negative externalities, with certain inequalities, and so on. Um, So, for example, uh, providing Uber drivers, you know, take a very contemporary example, providing them with actual rights, rather than just being allowing them to be, uh, you know, freely negotiate on the market via the app, which leaves them in a very vulnerable position. Um, and he, you know, he, he points out that law is a collective and often a democratic uh, means of regulation in contrast to allowing the, the market's own forms of regulation or, and this is the more contemporary version of this, what he calls algorithmic regulation, which is basically what Uber does. You know, it's, it's self-regulating. There's an algorithmic regulation which goes on, which uh, mediates between the consumer and the producer or between the service provider the uber driver uh and uh and uber central you know the, the app itself um and he he makes a point here that you know the law as an alternative to this might create further problems so i mean that tends to be the general left-wing response to uber right we need to get we need well two different approaches, I suppose. One is more a top-down and a more of a liberal one, where we need the state to give these people rights, and the other one is uh, Uber drivers need to organize to fight for their rights. But in either case, it, the the end point to that would be legislation, uh, which would uh, you know protect protect workers. But Morozov seems to suggest that increasing law to regulate all these different new forms of uh, of, of digital markets would just might create just more bureaucratization. And so I think that's that's the 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 core to hit the impulse behind his three propositions. It's basically we cannot have well the neoliberal model sucks, uh, old centralized planning sucks, uh, le- legal approaches trying to legislate uh, you know away the problems uh, creates bureaucracy. Yeah. So we need uh, to, right. to, to to put in the center autonomy and uh, you know and have a certain I guess libertarian decentralized socialism, uh, which is I think so I think. I think you've said it. You've ident, you know, you've sent, you've identified kind of the impulses that are pushing him, um, that kind of explain the various maneuvers he takes in the course of his discussion. Though it would benefit, you know, if he'd actually been more explicit in terms of articulating it the way you have. Um, Basically, we could have written a better article on this if uh, we'd if we'd put our. It's still if, if, if he just sent us a draft, then we could have helped. It's him still out. the problem. There's still kind of an underlying issue, which is the assumption, I suppose, you know, that the um, kind of the legal regulation is the same as workers' power, um, or that they tend in the same direction, and that would be the assumption which I would dispute. So um, I think that's the assumption that pushes him to try and come up with his alternative modes of um, social coordination that we mentioned. Um, And I think that's the that's the assumption I don't buy, I guess. 
Um, the idea of things... workers, greater workers control and greater worker autonomy necessarily leads to um, top down legal regulation, even if it's not liberal. Um, I don't buy that. But I think I think a lot of this makes sense in the context of particularly of big tech and, and this idea that, you know, <clears throat> you have this purported solution to social problems, which is that you can you can leave feedback on your um on your uber driver or the way to, to you don't need regulations around food safety because you can if you get poison if you get food poisoning from from this supermarket you just leave it a bad review um, and then everybody will know that it's got a bad you know that it's selling you chlorinated chicken or, or whatever it is um and you know that's that's the that's supposed to be empowering um this this kind of tech focused idea that you know you have that you can distribute that information amongst your networks and and obviously that counterposed to law law is a much more collective um collective solution and i think that's basically what he's trying to say is that you can't that it's atomized individualized consumerist response that doesn't work purely regulation that also won't be sufficient um you need you need some other ways of i guess generating new methods of coordinating things socially which aren't just basically um the market which then you either are an actor within or you just have um certain restrictions on from from above that's right but i think th it's important to remember that all of these take place on a specific plane that of information right i mean that's what we're fundamentally talking about here it's not necessarily about uh, means of production about different forms of distribution even and it's not about power it's about information and different ways of using information uh within the space of economy right production distribution and consumption um yeah and, i think it's a and, limit and, of the and, piece as well that's it is, right but, but i think it's also explicitly so i mean i, I don't know you know we'll, we'll, when we have uh evgeny morozov on as a as a guest hopefully sometime in the in the future we can just ask him this specific you know directly but um i think here he is restraining himself deliberately to to the question of information um and i think we should maybe spend just a little bit of time discussing the three modes of social coordination um and, and any thoughts that they might have brought up because i think they are very abstract i think it's necessarily you know, it is very speculative. And I think we know that it's speculative because he gives very few or no actual concrete examples of what those things might be, even even if they're marginal examples or only exist, um, you know, in embryo in certain places. So, you know, solidarity, to take the first one, solidarity is a feedback procedure. The example he gives is hackathons helping out. So whoever has um, a social problem, hack hackathons are... Um, a good example of something which has at its core something quite noble, which is basically people giving up their time and their ideas and their expertise to solve a problem collectively. Um, but in in reality, I don't think they they I don't think they work except for for a, a quite a at this point a, a too small um, a set of a set of problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I think he discusses this in in a I think under that heading. Or correct me if I'm wrong. But where, you know, community groups, neighborhood groups, even or whatever, could put forward problems that need solving and that people could then come together uh, through digital technology and try to solve these problems. I mean, there is and it doesn't necessarily work in one direction. I mean, say if you belong to a WhatsApp um, neighborhood group um, and you feel kind of seen on it and you feel social pressure to conform with, um, you know, the external demands of the state. Um, and you lose your sense of individual autonomy and ability to um, resist that kind of external pressure. You know, so those kinds of um, alternative um, information driven ways of exerting social coordination need not be emancipatory either. No, right. It, I mean, and it's again, it's because it deals with information. I mean, does that it doesn't it, really do we, deal with power? Does this, does this sound familiar to you, George, at all? No, no idea what you're what you're talking oh, about. No, I got it. Okay, so, um, so before before we came on that, air, George was saying that his neighborhood WhatsApp group, you know, they're doing this applaud for the NHS thing that they do at every at, at eight o'clock, and uh, George felt uh, pressured to join, but actually he wants everyone to die, and so he doesn't want to applaud them. Um, I think that's right. <laughs> that's that's exactly what I said. That's why I don't want to join the the, the applause. Um, no, I, I, yeah, not all information is is emancipatory. I mean, not all tools are emancipatory either. I mean, this is, I mean, this is why I think this um, 
this article just just like any i guess anything which touches on the socialist calculation debate is in some ways welcome is that it is trying to be um positive and forward-looking to the extent of saying what is it that socialists can call on in terms of arguments for a, a better form of society which is more yeah. innovative i don't know why i use that word innovative but it's more <laughs> progressive um no there's just more dynamic than than capitalism because that has been an, an argument which does it has, need to think, be lost does it need to I don't be think dynamic more dynamic right. i don't think the dynamic is more the right dynamic answer. it's that it uses capitalism's own dynamism for example digital technologies to solve problems or indeed to but then it makes it sound makes it more but then it makes it sound dependent and parasitic what no, do you mean? but all but all capital. I mean, you know what? To say not it uses in socialism, you know, you, it, 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 no, 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 no. But I'm saying it. You know, to say that it you you know, um, to say more dynamic, right? Assumes that um, we need more of this thing. The alternative to say that it uses this dynamism is to suggest that it's incapable of um, that it's a kind of a thin crust laid on top of um, something else, and so it's a matter of mixing the two. I'm just drawing no, attention, I... I suppose, to the. Um, you know what would seem to be the tacit assumptions of the way in which you framed your um your, your solutions well thank you for doing so but i would defend the uh, idea You're welcome. that welcome that's part will of be, my job will, i would that's why i'm a podcaster socialism will be a more dynamic form of society than capitalism i mean i think that's a that's quite a classic socialist argument and i think it's fundamentally correct because we will be able to use our in our intellectual powers as a as a species um in ways to solve problems and to create new problems and that's the definition that i or that's what i would mean problems. by dynamism yeah create new sure problems like can we right. go can we settle mars that's a I'm that's not a sure that's, 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 that's not a dynamism that's not a question of dynamism I'm not sure that's dynamism yeah I mean, it's called history of capital here, H. I think, maybe I don't, I don't know whether we should well uh, we are getting sidetracked d- i mean i think can, we, can I suggest I that we move the, to the questions and then we can return back yeah. to, to the final questions about legitimation and the, and the yeah. wider political issues? Is that good? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fine. I mean, yeah. Um, Phil, do you want to go, go on the first one? Yeah, so... Um, oh, and and one th- question thanks again that... for your questions, everyone. Uh, we've tried to, as usual, uh, condense them and join them up because there's lots of questions which uh, touch on sort of similar grounds. So we've kind of joined them up. So if we don't, you know, mention your name, uh, apologies. But um, we should actually so say... Out of some of the questions... Out of some of the questions we got, they echoed some of the themes we've already raised, um, which is the issue of abstraction. Or not abstract, the issue of abstraction, but rather that the essay itself is very abstract. And so, I mean, and this is something I already mentioned in the discussion, is it's kind of hard to get a grip of um, practically what um, Morozov is talking about. And so this is um, one of some of the readers kind of called, um, mentioned this and um, asked if we could come up with any um, ideas or concrete implementations um, of some of Morozov's ideas, including this solidarity-based discovery procedure so-called. So rather than the idea of um, that competition, according to Hayek, competition being the best way to achieve knowledge, competitive kind of, um, I suppose, Darwinian processes of identifying new forms of knowledge, that it would be that there are other um, more effective ways of doing it. I suppose I'd say too. New markets as well, right? Creating niches and needs and so on. But I think that's, I think that's, that is that would count as Hayek's um, new knowledge. You discover a new need through the process of the market. It's information right. about the character of society um, through the discovery of new needs, um, through the price mechanism, and so on. I suppose I'd say um, the first thing is that again, it's not clear to me that the the Morozov really explains what's wrong with a competitive process of um, discovery procedure. And also, by the same token, I'm not sure that the solidarity based is also is something which is so alien to us either. Um, I mean, it seems to me that it happens all the time in modern society. I mean, that was the process through which uh, the um, human genome was decoded. It was essentially a public, um, you know, something which was undertaken by the public or even, I mean, you know, the 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 old basic line that the all the stuff of Silicon Valley was um, all the kind of in the uh 
the framework to Silicon Valley was all laid by the state itself. It was all stuff the Pentagon laid down, infrastructure and capital spending the Pentagon laid down in the 50s and 60s. No, but, um, but I think this, this oh, is, sorry, then, just to interrupt, but I think the, the, precisely yeah. what this is getting at is that those are not solidarity-based because, I mean, you know, it's a military-industrial <laughs> complex doing that. No, but uh, it might be a solidarity so. that we don't like, right? But my point is that... Um, the idea Morozov is recreating the wheel, I think, to a certain extent, right? He's trying to come up with solutions for a problem that doesn't really, that is, I don't think is actually there because there are examples of non-competitive processes of discovery procedures. Um, you know, I mean, there's open talk at the moment of, you know, what part of the problem they're encountering, pharmaceutical companies are encountering, is how to come up with new pharma drugs, um, which get around the problem of the market because the market has a tendency to overproduce antibiotics with the result that it encourages um, resistant bacteria. And so, you know, they're coming up with kind of government-sponsored consortia as a way to come up with new antibiotics that get around the problem of um, competition between pharmaceutical companies. So, so I just don't, may, you know, I think the, the examples the are there. Here, yeah, yes. Maybe the point here is, is twofold. One is that... Mm, socialism and social democracy needs to uh, politically uh, try to own these a bit more and make make a point that this is a different and incompatible um way of solving social problems to the market i mean there's a, maybe there is a question who, who is defending that pure form of competition as the, as the only um but they are compatible kind of that's what i'm saying of information Discovery. My point is but that they are, coexist um, and that there are plenty of yeah. examples of it ongoing at the moment. So it seems to be... just, just to be fair to yeah. Morozov, because Morozov's idea here, I mean, it's specifically bottom up. And the examples that you're giving, you know, you have either market competition or you have um, effectively uh, discovery procedures okay, which come from the state, right, from top down. So Morozov's idea is, is an organic and bottom up one. Through which... But again, I think that's academic, you know, that's essentially academic. Uh, you know, you have all sorts of labs right now trying to find a vaccine for COVID. You know, you have all sorts so, of um, procedures of uh, research and discovery, which, um, you know, which are, you know, collaborative through the ordinary processes of social and scientific investigation. I just so don't here's, see here's that an, there's something an, kind of, uh, yeah. we have to kind of devise this um, specifically new system. Yeah, so here's, here's an example of a, of a kind of bottom-up solidarity-based um kind of problem solving approach um which is not used all that widely but some listeners might have come across called human-centered design and you might think it's a bit jargony because it possibly it is but the idea is that instead of treating people as consumers or people putting themselves into the framework of what what problems can you solve through through market-based mechanisms instead you try to solve social problems through people um imagining themselves in other roles um and i guess trying to work out what the solutions would be or what the kind of um needs and and other sorts of preferences would be that can't be captured in in monetary transactions um I, yeah i mean i don't know how widely spread it, it it is um and whether it could be the basis of designing products designing various things in a non-market economy but these sort of things there are they are here and there i mean hackathons as, as an as the example that he gives they're you know they're they're liable to being co-opted i think that's that's one of the the issues is that as soon as you work out how to, what what <laughs> problems people want solving you can then of course under a market society then pro provide a, a good or service um if you can do it economically that will solve that problem and um you can then appropriate the consumer surplus or the ak the ak47 the ak47 was the outcome of a very bottom-up um competitive process um in the old soviet union um which is only kind you know i mean a random kind of example given but to show that um I don't, you know, kind of identifying competition per se as something which is distinct from solidarity. Um, it just doesn't seem to me to be taking you very far. It's about the question of the co social and political context with, within which it takes place. You know, competition might be a good way to spur certain kinds of things that you want. And it might be a bad way. Another, you know, it's entirely determined, I think, by the context. The idea that competition per se is a bad thing seems to me to be ridiculous. I, but I don't think that's I the think, idea I think here. He, sorry, his sorry, point George, is, 
Yeah, go on. Uh, it's that this is under the context of the limitations of socialism, the established ones that happened in the 20th century. And so the idea is that, you know, those economies weren't innovative. They weren't doing anything new because there was no means of discovery, of, of driving that forward. Uh, and they were stagnant. So these solidarity-based discovery procedures uh, mediated by digital technology would resolve that problem. And what he hint, one of the things he hints at is environmental problems. Oh, okay, you've got this lake which is polluted, but you know previously under a market economy, there'd be no incentive to resolve that. Um, how do you know that this needs is a thing that needs to get done under socialism? Well, you use uh, these new technologies to, uh, to, to, to kind of draw attention to this problem and, and create a market under quotation marks uh, to to solve it. I think that's the that's the prop- the proposition. Yeah, I think it's yeah, a, it's, a weaker, suppose... it's a weaker claim that he's that he's that he's trying to defend, which is that competition isn't the only way that you can solve problems and the only way you can generate information. Well, he's big on this guy Daniel Saros and uh, the a book he published in two thousand. That Daniel Saras published in 2014 called Information, Technology, Socialist Construction, The End of Capital and the Transition to Socialism, which was talking about kind of ways in which you might coordinate um, uh, supply and demand without the need for without the need for it to be regulated by price and that this could be done very kind of effectively through different incentives that could be given um, in which consumers kind of lay out their demand digitally um, in advance of a particular production cycle, and various, um, you know, uh, mm. various cooperatives try to respond in advance. So I mean, you know, I mean, there's, uh, there's, so, you know, anyway. Just, I mean, just, to, just to return to return to the question, the abs- the essay is very abstract, and we didn't find it all that easy to think of concrete implementations of this no. idea of solidari- solidarity based discovery procedures. But to move on to an, another um, question, or I think an amalgam of a couple. Um, so does reading this essay make us think that leftists should should learn to code, as Lee suggested in a in a previous episode? Um, I guess the question is, to what extent is this a system in which we should look to participate and get skills um, in? Do you, or is it is it better to kind of to avoid dropout and and do something else? I mean, you probably don't want a highly skilled what, like podcasting. Of, of, of middle-class bureaucrats but there must be some capacity um and if we ha- if we were to move to a socialist society for people to to have the technical skills related to you know management distribution you know the the, the pms pmc but good kind of social yeah, the point PMC. is the pmc would work for the new socialist state so it's not like you need different a different set of people learning to code oh that's right good, um, good day well, otherwise they go to the gulag. <laughs> I thought. I thought. I was just about to say. I thought they were all going to the to the fields to do agricultural labour. They can't do both. And maybe they could actually, you know, take their iPads to the fields and you know multitask. Code in the morning, harvest in the afternoon sounds uh, utopic. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think that the point. Is, I mean, maybe to extrapolate a little bit from the from the question because I can't address it directly. But I mean, I, I think yeah, there's clearly a, a deficiency in terms of leftists generally coming from the humanities and not being familiar enough with science and that there's probably not enough uh, people who are drawn to you know engineering and uh, and and you know actual hard science uh, who, who get drawn to socialism and you know that's something which is a real contrast between today and uh, you know kind of the early 20th century um, and so in that regard I mean in terms of you know should the left be more uh, open towards uh, technology yes though i guess it's interesting because often that the way that that gets discussed is uh in a kind of fully automated luxury communism sort of way uh to look for technology as a sort of deus ex machina to do the job of politics for us which isn't the point it's the point is to look to technology as um, a means of production and to be more well acquainted with mm. it. and not just as a means of production but in, in in terms of scientific discovery and for for its own sake as well yeah yeah, I mean, I, I have a suggestion that might alienate a number of our listeners. And this is that the left in general has enough humanities graduates and postgraduates. So we don't need any more. It's one in, one out at this point. And we <laughs> want more people who know. Enge- we want more engineers um, to, to, you know, don't don't worry about the alt-right. Come and come and join socialism. No, I think I think that's the point. Actually, you, you put it well, Alex, that this is um, 
where's where's the the kind of the celebration of technology and the and the possibilities and the forward movement and I was going to say dynamism but the forward movement of that technology allows us to to um to make and that's a, that's an essential part of a of a or was of, of a socialist identity so we can we can bring it back indeed um so just to move on to another question um it's uh it's it's it relates to i think limitations of silicon valley as it actually exists because uh i mean the, the question uh highlights the fact that many data companies don't actually have that much valuable data what they do have is massive economies of scale um and so you know the, the idea you know facebook knows these things about you but it might not actually be that rich it just had it happens to have a lot a lot of data it has data on a lot of people um which i think is which i think is 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 correct um and a, and a secondary kind of related consideration i guess is the fact that you know uber doesn't have the economies of scale on on a cost basis and the data it 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 has hasn't led it to produce uh, to make profits um so and and just in in probably in more general terms like what is the real value to this and i think you know it does yeah, seem, it's a good question it, it it does seem that all this data collection that's going on feverishly instinctively reflexively isn't necessarily leading anywhere i mean it's not leading anywhere good because it seems to be the main applications seem to be surveillance um or selling you stuff that you may want or may not want um you know, we've all or I think, I mean, or what the question is getting at also is the fact that it doesn't necessarily produce, um, spontaneously produce greater efficiencies or coordination. So the point, I guess, you know, that Uber is more an art, more a product of um, quantitative easing, um, an era of uh, very low interest, of historically low interest rates for a prolonged period, means it can borrow. Um, and also the how it can borrow it, you know, it's kind of got... Um, the grip of certain investors, it can borrow um, at such in extraordinary quantities, which means it can keep on burning through loads of cash at a tremendous loss in the hope that it manages to drive all of its competitors out of business and then it will hijack up the prices. Um, but that's not really to do, it's not produce, you know, it's not actually creating value in the sense of something which is more efficiently produced than before. Um, it's not, it's not profitable. And um, the data that it has about um, its drivers and its um, consumers doesn't actually help in any particular way, apart from you know screwing over screwing over its own labor force. Mm. So it's a point it's, well made. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Mackenzie Walk talks about this a bit in Capital. Is that the like there's all this information, um, and we know sort of where it is and how privatized and like one sided it is, but we don't actually know how accurate or useful any of it is we 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 don't know what the the information that these um organizations have and use actually is so there's a you know there's there's a lot of ace there's a, information asymmetries even with relation to information are they the holders of information no and we don't yeah, well, there's that, but but I think that it also does produce. It does probably does produce valuable information. I mean, Uber showing where people are going, um, where there's demand, uh, you know, traffic information and all sorts of stuff like that, which could actually be publicly useful. Uh, not not just you know in creation of 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 value, but actually um, you know real use value in that. Um, but of course, that doesn't actually get uh, get. Them. You know that isn't made use of basically by public bodies because it's completely private. So I guess one could imagine that something like an Uber, a socialized Uber, would actually be really useful because it would it would be producing information, it would be gathering data, which could be actually put to to public use, right? Make yeah, uh, yeah. make the world a better place. Actually, <laughs> why? No way. Why? Why? I mean, what's different from that? You know, what is better that about that than just uh, local cabbies? Nothing. So I mean, I mean I'm all for, no, no, no. I mean, I'm all for local, Uber drivers taking give, over give local, Uber, right? No, but uh, give local cabbies the, the the same Uber app, right? You um you know you basically well, already have that, though. Huh? You already have like you already have apps for um for uh, existing kind of cab firms, um in major cities. What I'm getting at is like you know I I'm all for like I say I'm all for the Uber drivers taking over Uber, but um I don't know what is is there any greater efficiency from uber than there would be from just being able to hail or book a cab normally 
Um, I think that information is centralized in terms of where people are going, where there's demand, where there, you know, where there's supply. Um, it could be. It is more efficient than. I mean, than just the, the yeah. old taxi service, right? Where you know, why? Why? Just, why? What was wrong ta- with the old taxi? Because the taxi isn't there when you need it, and they're there when you don't need them. Yeah, but neither is because, an Uber. I still need to wait for the Uber to arrive. Yeah, but the I think the big point about Uber, if, right, if, is no, cost. No. And if, the only reason no, it's able if, to if be everybody... cheaper is because it's burning through so much cash, yeah, which they're borrowing. Obviously, but but I think you're missing you're missing the point about uh, about an app like that. It it uh, it allows the people who are driving the cabs or the machines in the future that might be doing the same to know where the demand is, so it can actually allocate all of the resources from you know from taking a view of all the people who want cabs. Whereas a, you know, and a, a cab previously, you would have to be in the right place at the right time. It's not going to come to you because it doesn't know that you need a cab. I mean, and that's that's the the the. But this is, so I think this gets actually like get, I think this does this does get to an issue, which is implicit in some of Morozov's discussion, which is um, over and kind of trying to devise alternatives to problems that aren't actually there. So the problem of Uber is the fact that you have a labor force that's um, exploited, that's not treated as employees, and that's treated as, um, you know, um, kind of collaborators with the firm. Um, But it doesn't seem to me that the old system of getting cabs was so vastly inefficient that the app tremendously improved something or that all the data of where we need cabs and so on is a drastic improvement to human coordination problems or something. I just don't see it. No, it's I, over-engineering, I, I, it seems to me. It, essentially, that's, previously, that's you could totally pull a cab because, because to a certain all... point or go where you know the cabs are going to be. And those are the two options and that's which, in dense you urban have, centers. which in, in most in cases, cases would be... Yeah, in, 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 in more, uh, let, let, you know, less highly populated, less dense areas, there aren't cabs because it's not worthwhile for cabs to hang around or there's maybe one cab in your small town who works from there. Uh, and so, you know the uber technology resolves that problem because it knows that there's a certain amount of demand there anyway I think okay so- no i mean yeah i mean but it i'd still say it's kind of marginal you know to um to the problem it's not like it was such a huge problem of social life that was magically resolved by greater amounts of data yeah okay so let's move to uh i don't think we have time for, for any uh some of these other questions here um we can maybe deal with them another time but uh just to finish up i think we should return to something that i i kind of foreshadowed at the beginning uh and which morozov makes reference to at the beginning of the article which is the idea that the neoliberal establishment needs a new legitimation narrative and that one way in which it does already do that and which it might have to lean on even further uh is to use uh, silicon valley mediated convenience effectively um, or you know the efficiency of of uh, the app economy uh, to legitimate itself because it, it, it Morozov rightly makes a point that pure no, pure neoliberalism doesn't work it's uh, chaotic it's inefficient there's so many negative externalities um, he uses the example of the, the UK rail network as, as a as one example uh, where it loses total legitimacy because trying to create markets and coordinate society create coordinate production through the market in many areas fails either because it creates huge inequalities or just because it simply doesn't work and again uk rail perfect example um so it needs to have other mechanisms doing that and and maybe kind of using digital means uh, resolves that thoughts i think yeah i mean adam greenfield in his, his book digital no radical technologies which is which i enjoyed a lot he says that it's all about the ideology of ease so this is this is what silicon valley and this is what contemporary tech solutions have in their favor is the smoothness with with which and often this ease means you don't have to interact with a with a person the 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 smoothness with which you can go from having a want to having it satisfied this is the kind of um atomized consumerist legitimation that that silicon valley provides it's like yeah well you you can you can talk to um you can watch tv you can pause tv with your voice and then through alexa buy um buy something which you know people don't watch adverts anymore so i was going to say you sort in an advert you buy it but you see people drinking some nice wine on on a tv show and then you then you buy it um but yeah i mean that's but that's only going to go so far if you know it's clear that um, uh, um i think a much bigger um, sort of legitimation narrative is going to be needed in the next, you know, in the in the coming months and and years, because 
it's clear that there is a we we have a social system which has its its very serious problems. So I think it's a it's kind of a, a good way that he frames it by saying, okay, what is it that this this supposedly best social system and best economic system that that the world's ever seen? What what does it actually give us? What's in it for us in under capitalism? I, I think, the, but it's not just you know new consumer bubbles that you can have you know conveniently delivered to your door. But I think the idea is that a neoliberal form of uh, economy and society with the aid of Silicon Valley technology allows you to actually have a voice in society to give you flexibility. So it's not just about you as a consumer, but even as a, you know, as a producer being uh, able to uh, engage in the gig economy and maybe, you know, the state takes some means to, to put a floor price on, on, uh, on, on work, you know, to make sure that it, people at least get, paid um but that you know the, the whole neoliberal edifice is still there and that it still avails itself of these of these technologies um to mediate uh you know economic interactions so i mean i think flexibility yeah so i think that those are the, the key sort of words flexibility um ease empowerment um connectivity those are the sorts of of things which which we're, which we're sold as, uh, which are sold to us as, as being, as being extremely um, beneficial and also not available elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's right, um, and we'll see whether that that works. I mean, I, I don't really see that uh, that having too much appeal. But you know, again, under the impact of the Corona crisis. You know, you might see things like I just mentioned, you know, like a UBI, for example, which provides a floor. Uh, and then, you know, with that floor, you can go off and sell your uh, skills and whatever on the market via apps. Uh, and that would supposedly at least compensate for the most obvious negative defects of neoliberalism while keeping the show on the road. And I think no doubt uh, the, the neoliberals will be will be trying to do that. Okay, so uh, unless there's any further points, I think we should leave that there. Um, I hope you've found this thought-provoking and illuminating. Hopefully, we've been able to clarify some matters. Uh, most likely, we've also confused things a little bit as well. <laughs> uh, but we're going to have another opportunity to discuss these matters uh, next month. Um, we will be discussing Planning and Anarchy by Jasper Burns. It's actually an academic article published in an academic journal, but as usual, we will make the PDF available on Patreon for you to download. Uh, this It'll be recorded uh, Thursday, the 30th of May, so you have until then to, to get in your questions and comments. Uh, and again, if you have any questions or comments about this episode and things that we discussed, uh, raise them and we'll try to address them at the beginning of uh, the next one of these reading clubs. We hope that you're enjoying, again, if you have any questions or comments in general uh, about this sort of format or things that we're doing, we, we're always happy to know about it. Uh, it's a feedback mechanism, uh, non-market mediated. So that's great. Okay, catch you next time. Bye-bye.